We developed Hexel Pack specifically to address those concerns related to plastic packaging and coming up with a full sustainable suite of packaging that one, reduces the box size that you actually receive, protects the products that are inside that box better than what plastic can do, and three, ultimately offer that full sustainable suite of packaging to protect those items inside that box. And uh, the Beehive was a big inspiration to create the Hexel related die cut product. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Lauren Herskowitz, partner of Excel Pack, sustainable solutions that work. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Growing up in India, we used to get most of our shopping from the neighborhood grocery store. Now, with the advent and growth of e-commerce, we often get a box which is about 40% filled with packaging padding. According to Oceana.org, Amazon.com generated in 2019, before the pandemic, 465 million tons of plastic. These consisted of bubble wraps, packing peanuts, air pillows, etc. How big is the e-commerce packaging industry? So great question and thanks for the opportunity for doing this with me. The e-commerce marketplace from a protective packaging standpoint is in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And the significant amount of that packaging is plastic related, as you noted, Mm -hmm. regarding Amazon. But as a business owner, I want to make a good impression. I want to, you know, have this package with a lot of paper, maybe a large carton, and I need to protect the items too, right? So it's not just frivolous. Right. So our goal as an organization, as a packaging company, and I've been in this industry for over 21 years, I started in the plastics world and the plastics industry with the goal of uh, starting our company about six years ago, specifically on sustainable packaging solutions and exactly what you just said, eliminating the plastic within that box to protect the item or the items within that. Mm -hmm. And as big a part of that is reducing redundant packaging inside of that box. What does that mean? Exactly what you said. If they're wrapping the item in bubble or they're wrapping the item in foam and then they're taking that product and they're putting it in a box and then ultimately filling the rest of the box with air pillows, in our minds, that doesn't meet the need for a great end user experience, especially from a sustainability standpoint. So we developed Hexel Pack specifically to address those concerns related to plastic packaging and coming up with a full sustainable suite of packaging that one, reduces the box size that you actually receive, protects the products that are inside that box better than what plastic can do, and three, ultimately offer that full sustainable suite of packaging to protect those items inside that box. So when a consumer does receive it and open that box, they get that experience that they're looking for that since plastic has such a negative connotation in the marketplace right now, paper being the most sustainable option out there in the marketplace right now, they see that product, they like the product, their customer satisfaction with that product goes up. And ultimately, the image of the companies that are using that product uh, definitely goes up as well because that gets them their uh, their sustainable targets or the sustainable benefits that they've always been talking about and actually implementing it. But 
often now people are recycling the plastic, right? Or reusing it. Mm-hmm. What happens to the ones which are not recycled or reused? Where do they land up? Very great question. And uh, we've done a considerable amount of research into that. And um, a good site to actually look at is called theoceancleanup.com. Mm-hmm. And they specifically are out there managing that process of really understanding how much product goes through the recycling stream, how much product actually gets to the recyclability um, companies to actually regenerate post-consumer waste or post-industrial waste and reuse that back in the stream. And they estimate that there's over 5 trillion pieces of plastic that doesn't get necessarily to the recycling stream and actually ends up in the oceans. Mm -hmm. And the oceans have become a big garbage ground for plastic waste. And we're starting to see significant negative effects on both the algae and the flora on the bottom of the ocean because the plastic's starting to cover the bottom of the ocean. And ultimately, all of these organizations are starting up because there's so much plastic making it into our waterways that it's starting to have a major negative impact on our ecosystem as well as all the other negative benefits that you have plastic washing up on beaches plastic literally you could see all over the internet there's there's stories of plastic wrap getting on an example uh, birds beaks ultimately not allowing them to actually feed properly. It's a huge and significant issue of which paper really does address that in the grand scheme of things from a ocean standpoint, from a recyclability standpoint, from a compostability standpoint, and virtually everything else that goes along with the environmental benefit of using paper. So there's a lot of talk about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Where exactly is that located? So Great Pacific Garbage Patch is basically in the North Pacific subtropics. And I actually have some statistics from 2018. And that's where this statistic of where they have 1.6 million kilometers squared containing Mm -hmm. nearly 80,000 metric tons of buoyant plastic waste. And that's debris also from fishermen, that's debris from dumping, that's debris from basically any aspect of getting rid of waste in a stream. So it's a significant and major issue that needs to be addressed. So when I think about this great Pacific garbage patch, I'm just imagining plastic bottles just floating up on the surface. It's not just that, it's there are tiny microplastics, right, too, which kind of make the water murky. They make the water cloudy. Good point. And I use the example, I'm not going to mention the name, but a major retailer that used to have antibacterial soaps that had these microbial pieces of plastic that were used to actually as as an exfoliant for your hands. And those are made of little microplastics. (laughs) And all of those pieces they realized could not be separated as part of the water and sanitation stream. And all those little microbial pieces got into the ocean to a point where they finally realized that the significant impact that small plastic actually is having on the flora, on algae, on the ecosystem, on animals actually eating those little microbial pieces of plastic. And ultimately, they ceased using those items in their soaps. So very good point creates a whole host of other issues within the ecosystem as well as the water, and it's a significant issue. So the plastic that we are talking about, which is in our waterways, which has not been recycled, is about 20 or 30% of the overall plastic 
which is not recycled. I don't know the exact amount, but I know that in 2016 through 2018, they suggested over 30% of uh, plastic waste was making it into our water system and not being recycled. So 70% is still on land, right? And of that 70%, a lot of that's making it to the landfill and not actually getting recycled. So a very small portion actually gets through the recycling stream. So if you go to an, a typical landfill site, the amount of plastic that you'd see there is far greater than you would expect. And a lot of the plastics that you see coming through the recycling stream cannot be recycled. Mm -hmm. Call it a plastic mailer. There's something called a poly mailer, where if you've got a paper label that's attached to that actual poly mailer, you cannot recycle that product. So that ultimately, when it gets to a recycling stream, gets rejected and ends up going to the landfill. And we're seeing more and more of that today where you need to have a product that is 100% recyclable to be able to get through the recycling stream. Otherwise, a number seven recyclable product where most jurisdictions or municipalities don't have the capabilities of recycling that product ends up getting to the landfill anyways. So what about the cool triangles that they have with the recycle symbol with the numbers? And I feel very happy when I put them amongst my weekly recyclables. So what's interesting about that point is even though as a consumer, you may think that it's actually going to get recycled, a lot of the times it's actually not getting recycled. So when you look at your that recyclability logo, there's numbers on there and those specific numbers equate to the capabilities of the municipality in which that product is going to be recycled. So some jurisdictions do not have the capabilities of recycling a number four or a number seven or a number two. It all depends on that area. Mm -hmm. And and you also have, if the product's contaminated and can't go through the recycling stream, that would get rejected as well. So where, I'll use the example of a polymailer as well, because that's within our industry, where it says it's a number four recyclable, it's only a number four recyclable if you don't have a paper label on there. So you have to actually cut off the paper label from that bag in order to make it 100% recyclable. There's new organizations that have started up like Cradle to Cradle, as well as How to Recycle. And they're getting a lot more effective at putting the right information on the packaging so the consumer could really know if the item they're throwing in their blue bin or the recyclability bin is actually recyclable in their municipality or within their jurisdiction. And I also heard that those triangles were actually created by the plastic company as a marketing propaganda. I wouldn't say it's necessarily propaganda. I would just say that it was developed to be able to educate the consumer on how to dispose of their product in a much more environmentally friendly method. But it does not give the full story and the full information around what it actually really means. Mm -hmm. And the average consumer is not going to go do that research. If you're an educated consumer, you might go onto a site to get the definition of the logo and definition of the numbers and all that other good stuff. But majority of us are just going to throw it into the blue bin and not realize that down the stream, it's just going to get rejected and actually ends up in the landfill. So Hexel Pack offers a sustainable alternative to this with something called slip paper technology. Correct. Who invented it? So my business partner, David Goodrich, invented this technology almost 30 years ago. And uh, in the last six years, we've 
taken it to another level by changing the way that we actually die cut it to actually get an even more environmentally friendly paper-based solution that minimizes the need and the use for a massive amount of paper to wrap and protect a fragile item within that context. So David Goodrich uh, invented it and uh, we just reinvented the wheel about six years ago to relaunch the product as Hexel Pack. How did he come up with the idea? David, by nature, is an innovative uh, solutions-based expert. And back then, he saw the need for more sustainable products within the marketplace. But at that point, the market really wasn't ready for it. There are some competitors that do have similar technology that put it out there in the marketplace, mm -hmm. but didn't really promote it the way that we're promoting it now. So the way that we've reinvented it is we created a different slit technology, different slit pattern within that actual paper to be able to expand more effectively and create a better cushion around that product to protect it much more easily and use less product within that box to send to the consumer. So pretty exciting. So I read somewhere that the slits are cut in hexagons. So when you expand it, the slits are cut in straight lines to when, when you expand the actual material, it creates a hexagonal shape that gives you the cell height to be able to create that protection and nest around the actual product. Hexagon is something which has six sides, six edges and six vertices. Yep. Why is it the strongest? So basically engineering and science behind it is simply when you get six sides, the way that you actually pull it and expand it, it gives you the highest amount of cell height on the paper to create the protection around the actual product. So once you expand that and wrap it, it also gives you the nesting capability similar to a beehive. If you look at a honeycomb, when you pull out a beehive, very similar concept to the slit technology that we pretty much have come up with. So we had a guest a while back and he was making geodesic domes as homes, you know, for people to live in. And there is some similarity. He said it's a very, very strong structure. And if you look at a geodesic dome, it is similar. It has six triangles with one common vertex. Okay. And he said like straight walls are not good for support. Hexagon also can be divided into six triangles. Your thing, what you're talking about, beehives, is that the same concept in Hexel Pack? So very similar. The concept really is, is getting the height of the actual material as high as possible in three areas of the structure to be able to have that impact resistance and damage resistance on the actual product. So very similar. A lot of inspirations for design comes from nature. Was David inspired by, say, looking at the beehive while designing this? That was an inspiration of his, and that's pretty much how this all started, was he is definitely big into nature, hiking, understanding the ecosystem around him, and really being part of nature. And uh, the beehive was a big inspiration to create the Hexel related die cut product mm -hmm. and ultimately that concept ended up molding into a variety of different products a sustainable suite around the hexagon and in some of our marketing we specifically promote and use that concept of the beehive as well because it has been the driving fact to create the overall cushioning perspective that we do get nature is the master designer i agree and does david have a patent on this design 
All of our products are either internationally patented, US-based patents, where we are going to be going after international patents, and ultimately patent pending. So our patent portfolio is significant and is uh, definitely a big component of our overall business model and business plan and very exciting part of our portfolio. I did receive a while back something which was packaged. I don't know if it was your product, but with the seminar packing, it was really fun. You know, people like the bubble wrap because they like to pop it, but I thought yours was fun because it's like an accordion. Right. So we always say that. So instead of popping the bubble, we say to them, let's change it to stretching the wrap, right? And you basically get the same tension relief while also having that sustainable mindset of using paper. And if you're popping the bubble, you can't reuse it, right? Mm -hmm. But with the Hexel, if you expand it, it creates the tension and you're allowed to actually reuse the actual product. Popping bubble, it just goes to the waste stream. So even more of a sustainable benefit there is you could reuse the product after you receive it by restretching it, wrapping your item and sending it back out. Pretty exciting stuff there. So when I looked at the paper, it was very simple. It just had a bunch of slits. And of course, at that point in time, I didn't know about the hexagon and the strength that structure gives. But you or David had to probably design special machines to cut precisely the cuts to give you the height that you want, right? So we have a proprietary slit technology that we put on our converting lines to be able to make sure that we get the perfect cut all the time and the the perfect pressures to be able to create that cut. And we have different slit patterns based on the type of product that we're actually going to promote and use it. For example, for wrap, we've got our own slit pattern that's specifically for fragile items. For void fill, it's a different slit pattern to be able to create the bounce in the cushion around the product to give it the most effective damage control within the actual box. So Mm -hmm. eliminate the shifting and really blocking and bracing the product inside that. For our new pallet wrap, it's a completely different slip pattern as well to be able to make sure that it wraps around the actual boxes and holds everything in place. And same thing with the mailer. It's a different slip pattern to get the right height in that mailer and the right cushioning protection to be better than a typical craft bubble mailer or poly bubble mailer, but not too over the top so it doesn't get through the mail stream under a certain height restriction from a mailer standpoint. So it's a very fine-tuned slit technology that David really has mastered to be able to create different patterns for different applications. And it really shows well in our different product lines specific to what it's being used for. Did you say that Excel Pack can be used to wrap pallets? Yes, correct. Which will go on trailers or containers. How does it protect from the moisture? It depends on the application. So for dry goods, it works perfectly from a humidity standpoint within those trailers and all that stuff. All of our products still function totally fine. Mm -hmm. If it's in a cold area or cold goods where you've got sweating of material or sweating of, let's call it cold water is a perfect example. If you take a cold water bottle and bring it outside, you'll see the sweat around the actual bottle. The traditional pallet wrap that we've come up with would not work because that would basically saturate the water and it would tear. But there are environmentally stable and environmentally water-based solutions that we could coat the actual material with uh, to protect it from the humidity. At this point, we're really focused on the dry goods market and not necessarily on wet, humid, sweating items. But we will be in that marketplace in the short term. So what kind of paper do you use? 
So we use PEFC certified, and I know you're going to ask me for the exact verbiage of what PEFC stands for. So the PEFC is the program for the endorsement of forest certification. All of our paper comes from some of the most sustainable forests in Canada Mm -hmm. and some of the most sustainable forests in the world. PEFC certification is very well known from that standpoint. They really do not clear cut forests. It's regentrified forests and actually forests where Canadian government actually says go in and start cutting down to create uh, paper or lumber because there's risk of forest fires. There's risk of uh, an insect that's coming in from outside of the world that, that could be infesting the area or ultimately the trees are just getting too big. They got to regentrify the forests. And as part of PEFC, all of that log that is used as part of the uh, cut is used as either lumber, it's used as either paper, it's used to heat the mills, it's used, the entire log that they cut down is used for something. The wood chips are turned into paper. All of our paper is either craft or uh, bleached white. Most of our paper is, I would say all of our paper is 100% virgin because of the stretch that we get in the paper. But the sustainability side of it, the end line sustainability of full circular economy of reusability, compostability, ability to recycle, put it into a recycling bin. It's a pretty impressive story from an overall impact standpoint on the environment. So is it uh, home or backyard compostable or does it need a commercial compost bin? No, it could go pretty much if you're going to stack hundreds of layers of paper in your compost, it's not going to work. But if it's a general opening up your box, taking the product, we have certificate of compostability available and it will work within a typical compost in a garden. What is craft paper? It's craft with a K. K-R-A-F-T. So it's like a natural brown color craft that simply just comes straight. Once the chips, once the wood is processed and through the mills, it's basically the natural progression of the paper that you get off that line. So I'm assuming that your wrap can be reused, right? Many times. It could be reused as many times as you could stretch and create the tension to wrap around the actual product. 100% always be used as extra void fill inside someone's box. If they're, you're reshipping, to wrap it, it will lose over several times some of its uh, cushioning characteristics, but it can be reused, recycled, and compost, basically put in a compost bin as well. The other advantage that I see of your product is because it can be wrapped tight, right? As again, say the air pillows or the foam peanuts that are there. This will overall reduce the size of the shipping carton. Correct. And reduce the amount spent on the carton, amount spent in shipping costs, and also, of course, the environmental impact of both of those things. So we ultimately go into uh, an account and we call it a return of change. So we don't necessarily call it a return of on investment because you're not investing in equipment here. You're investing in a product change. So we'll take into account all of the variables that it takes to pack their items. So in that there's labor, there's ultimately reduction of packaging, so reduction of pack size. In some cases, we actually eliminate using boxes by switching people into the mailing bag because we offer more cushioning than a typical craft bubble or poly bubble mailer. So they now go into a completely different category where you don't need void fill, you don't need tape, you don't need to put wrap around the actual product. You're just dropping it in a bag, closing it up, 
and your, ultimately your overall efficiency goes up and your total cost of packaging goes down. Space savings within a warehouse environment, especially against traditional bubble wrap, huge savings from space standpoint. The ease of use and the fact that our product, when you wrap the items, you don't need any tape to secure it. It secures itself mm-hmm. is a huge win. So you eliminate redundant packaging. So you eliminate the need for tape. Like you said, the box reduction side of it, we typically don't need void fill. If we wrap a fragile item in our product, we prove out that you actually don't even need to fill that box with void, that it, it will protect itself. Even though end user will be comfortable putting void fill in there, sometimes we actually recommend not using void fill because an end user will have a set of boxes, but we do offer and we do say to them, there's something called a scored box where you could create the box to the size of the product that's inside that box. Mm-hmm. And that's from a dimensional cube standpoint. Think of the carbon footprint that saves going on a FedEx USPS or UPS truck. You'll be able to put more on a truck. You'll be able to reduce your dimensional cube. You'll be able to reduce your spend on packaging. It's virtually limitless what you could do with our products to create a a return of change that is significantly better than what you're currently doing. At the end of the day, huge dollar savings for the end user. There's big environmental impact from a sustainability side of it. And we just spoke about all those key benefits. Customer retention, customer satisfaction, ease of use, reduction of energy used within a work environment because all of our solutions are manual versus automated, reduction of maintenance, reduction of, I could keep listing them on and on and on and on. It's virtually limitless what we could do with the actual product. When you talk about customer perception, one of our early guests, literally my second or third guest is a brand named Zojila. And he's a very creative uh, designer. And this is I'm talking even almost 10 years ago. And even at that time, he had informed his customers that the outer packaging, it would be a reused cotton. And it was a novel concept 10 years ago where as a fresh new brand, it's a luxury design product, but I will send it to you in a reused carton. How do we educate the customer to be okay with something like that? I think it's an overreaction of marketers in the sense that they believe that the customer really wants that new packaging item. I think to change that mindset is really the critical point is survey on packaging, is really surveying the customer base, especially luxury high-end brands. And the first big step is getting out of plastic and getting into paper-based solutions and really getting the feedback to say, hey, this is good. Mm -hmm. Then the next step is really surveying that customer base to say, do you really care if you get a recycled box with your $1,500 purse or your $2,000 purse. I would beg to say the consumer in my mind would be on the average consumer on my mind would be apt to say, I would love to get more recycled content or a recycled box, less plastic. And that's the way that I would go about getting that mindset changed. I think it's really getting in the heads of Europe as an example. Europe is far more ahead than the typical American state when it comes to laws around sustainability, plastic-based packaging. And the ability for Europe to be able to integrate and adopt has been a lot quicker than the US marketplace. And how did they do it? They just changed it. 
I think behavior change in the US in the American marketplace takes a lot longer. And if you do significant amount of surveys of the customer base, I think marketers and packaging design engineers and packaging companies will tend to realize that the we're perceiving it that the customer wants the new box. But realistically, the customer really does not care at the end of the day, as long as we're protecting the environment, as long as climate change is at the forefront of developing new packaging products. And if they could help as part of the process, I think that they would be part of it. I have a customer that actually had, when eBay first started, a box that is exactly what you were talking about, where it was a returnable box and you actually wrote your name on the box and it basically showed how many times that box was used in the stream and it's like the dollar bill where you actually put your name on it and you see it as it goes around and being used across the country same thing with the box and everybody felt that sense of joy that they were having that positive impact in the packaging stream by reusing that box so I think more and more just getting the knowledge out there that customers really don't mind getting paper-based products, recycled products will change and shift the behavior accordingly. Your passion is apparent in the way you are talking about the environmental impact and Hexapack. How did your journey start with this company? Like I said earlier, I started in the plastics industry 21 years ago. I worked for one of the third largest protective packaging manufacturers. And back then, it was all plastic-based packaging. Paper really was not at the forefront. We were laminating plastic to paper, which was definitely not recyclable. Mm-hmm. And then probably I left there about nine or 10 years ago and focused my business specifically on what end users wanted. And I saw the light from a sustainability standpoint and started building partnerships with companies that offered sustainable solutions. And about six and a half years ago, I met David and David came to me. We met at a restaurant in New York and he's telling me all about this product. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if that's really going to work yet. The market's really not there. But we decided to continue to talk and go through it. I had significant relationships with some of the top retailers in North America. And we started to say, hey, let's start to promote and let's start to show it to people and see where they go with it. And we started to get some traction and people started to um, love the product. So David and I formed a partnership and said, we're going to go full throttle ahead with this. And uh, within the last three and a half, four years, it's uh, been one contract after another, and it's just been going up from there. And uh, we really are super excited on the uh, the sustainable impact that we're having on the carbon footprint, as well as uh, getting the testimonials from some of the customers that we're working with to really prove out what we're saying ex- through this conversation actually works. And that's why at the beginning of the meeting, you said sustainable products that actually work, they work. And uh We continue to develop the product mix and uh, continue to develop the products that we offer. And uh, ultimately, that's how it all started. True story. When I first went to David, he gave me this big wooden unit as a demo unit made with two by fours. And I said, we're going to put it in the packaging hall of fame. And it was two by fours, this big clunky unit. And I walked into a meeting and the customer looked at me and he goes, that's your dispenser. And I said, that's the dispenser. Just wait and watch and look. Mm -hmm. Then they used the product and they were like sold. And uh, from that day onwards, we continued to develop. Now we've got smaller footprint 
units and we're a real company now. It's not like we're just uh, starting up, but we're very entrepreneurial and we just liked that the marketplace that we're in and e-commerce, as you said, has been uh, our major success. I didn't quite get the two by four part of it. Oh, so we have a dispenser that our rolls are on. It was like just like a homemade two by four system instead of like a professionally looking dispenser that you would typically see from a manufacturer coming in to show it. It was just like literally this prototype out of 1920. Ultimately, we sold it using that prototype. So it just shows that the product had merit. And then ultimately, we designed a real unit specific for industrial applications and uh, went on from there. So was this a chance meeting between you and David or was it a planned one? It was a plan. One of my colleagues introduced me to him, knowing that I knew this marketplace very well from a sales standpoint. And David knew the marketplace from an engineering and uh, product innovation standpoint. And it was a perfect marriage from that standpoint, where we both could work very well together Mm -hmm. in succinct different areas. Me being sales, him being operations, and ultimately meshing together was a great fit for both of us. So where are your products made? Our current manufacturing sites are uh, Marion, Ohio, and we've just uh, placed some equipment in our Connecticut facility, which will be fully operational within the next couple of weeks. We also have a licensing agreement on our mailer product line, which are being made in uh, Blythewood, South Carolina, and will be made all across North America and Europe in the very near future as well. Most sustainable solutions come at a higher cost, which, you know, can be a barrier for adoption, especially for a business person whose margins are really thin. Should I spend on the plastic, air pockets, the packing peanuts, yeah, bubble wrap. Air pillows, yeah. Yep. How does Hesselpack's prices compare to these alternatives? It all depends on the application and the product. So when it comes to our core items, when we take a look at the ROC, the return on change or the return on investment, if you want to use that word, we usually show a significant savings for the end user. But that takes into account damage reduction, box reduction, redundant material reduction. When it comes to a product to product comparison, It depends on the product we're competing against. Sometimes we're more expensive, sometimes we're a lot less when it comes to the individual product. It depends on what we're comparing ourselves to. Mm -hmm. If it's standard bubble, we'll be a little bit more expensive on the material side. But overall, when you take into account not having to use tape to secure it, the time it takes to pack, just those two items, we'll find a winning situation every time. If you're looking at bubble on demand as an equipment, as an item versus our product, I won't use the word substantially, but we're less expensive material to material standpoint. So it all depends on the product, the application. And that's why we like to do packouts with our customers to prove out what their net bottom line return will be by switching to our products. So when we talk about the anxiety that marketing departments have about packaging and what the expectations are of the customer. How can you help them realize that your solution is sustainable and acceptable to the customer? So a lot of the times when we go into uh, an operation or a customer account, we take a look at what they're currently doing and we do packout studies with them, as we stated before. And in those packout studies, we show them the current method of packaging and then the optimized method of packaging that we're pretty much trying to 
promote as a solution. Where we run into some issues is the purchasing department is typically in charge of taking all of those items within that product spec and putting those out to RFP or RFQ and really just ultimately hammering price down on individual items. So what we do is we end up going back and working with the operations team, uh, VP of operations, operations manager, that can ultimately change the specification or the SOP, standard operating procedures within their work environment, and then bringing that back to marketing and purchasing to get the overall approval of that new spec or new product. And ultimately, what does that do? We say, hey, let's take the current method of packaging. Let's do the ROI, ROC on our method of packaging. Let's show the net potential bottom line return for both purchasing and marketing. And ultimately, let's do a test study with the consumers. So we spoke about surveys. Let's start packing out hundreds of packages with our product. Not even. Start with 10 packages. Send it to all your senior vice presidents, your CEO, your president of the current method of packaging, and then our method of packaging. Get their feedback. Once you have that feedback, start sending out hundreds of packages to your customers. Get their feedback. And ultimately, the net return of the solution that we have given will both be impacted from a net bottom line return benefit for the our customer. And then your end user customer satisfaction and your customer retention will show because you're now becoming a much more sustainable operation. And the behavior change or the shift of packaging change will be a lot easier within that environment by working it through a process like that. So can consumers buy your products at Staples, Office Depot, or is it only for B2B? We've been on a mission to get the products into retail chains. It takes quite a bit of time and energy and effort to get that into there. We have a retail distribution partner that is responsible for getting it through the retail chain. Mm -hmm. Our mailers will be in one of the major retailers in the very near future. So we're very excited about that. Right now, we've got a lot of distribution partners where a consumer could buy the product. And we've got catalog items that are being placed into different catalogs that consumers can order from. As well, they can order from our website. And there's some product on Amazon as well for consumers to order direct to. Your technology, as complicated as it is, when you look at it, it looks fairly simple, easily reproducible easily copied. Yep. Has that been a problem? So there are copycats in the marketplace and we are not too concerned based on the breadth of products that we offer and the sustainable suite of products that we offer. Our patent protection is going to go a long way once it issues. Unfortunately, we all know with China and their perceptions on patents and all that stuff that there will be some break. I use the word breakthrough. I'd like the breakthrough word. There are going to be some breakthrough of copycats in the marketplace. But again, if we've got the right partners as part of the distribution model and the right end users, and they understand that the patent protection is out there, and they understand the value within that, and they understand the total value of a, a switch to a product like ours, we're not going to really have that much of an issue longer term with copycat. Short term, 100%. Mm -hmm. But we could weather that storm and we're really not concerned. Our technology, no one else will get the stretch that we get on the actual paper, no one else. And if they are copying that, then they will find themselves in a little bit of trouble in the near future. 
Wishing you and David all the best and all the success for a sustainable future. Thank you for your time and thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Look forward to great things and hopefully you'll see uh, the product in a lot of your packaging that you get in the near future. We were talking with Lauren Herskovitz on Mindful Businesses. This is Vedya Ayer. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. The theme music was composed by Tatum Gale. This is Vedya Iyer with Mindful Businesses.